You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Awesome. Well, that is good news for me because that is less of a concern now. Anyway, good morning. Um, It's great to be here with you guys today. Um, And yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to going back to Springwood with a bit of Burley in me. So um, I think that's the best kind of solution. Anyway, so... I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever had someone spoil the end of a movie for you before? It's the worst, hey? Normally, I hate spoilers, um, but this morning, I want to do that exact thing for you. Um, I'm going to spoil something for you. But I don't just want to read another Bible story today either. I want us afresh to read a familiar story for many, um, because I think Jesus is wanting to stretch us this morning. You okay with this? Excellent. That's a great response. Anyway, back to my spoiler. Um, We're going to begin at the very end of the story today because I think that this first point tells me what my prayer for this sermon is. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open up with me. We're going to open up to John chapter 11. Uh, We're going to start at verse 45. Or you can just look at it on the screen. Even better. So here we go. Um, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin and they said, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation." And, if, and if, then if we skip to verse 53, it says, From that day on, they plotted to take his life. So something happened here that was so divisive, so insane, the people were upset and they wanted to kill him. But also it caused many to believe. So let's wrestle with that this morning. Um, my hope is that this story is going to expand your faith. And it's Jesus' hope too, because, spoiler again, in verse 15, He says, he's done this so that you may believe. So what is Jesus about to do? And what is the bigger picture? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I'd love to just pray before I jump into it. If you want to bow your heads, um, you're welcome to. Father, thank you for this opportunity to enjoy your scripture in a public way this morning, Lord. Um, Lord, will you meet us where we are and minister to our hearts this morning? God, will you speak to us individually, but also... Also, as a congregation, um, and Father, will you give me um, a spirit of peace and the words to say and how you want them to be said, Lord? Amen. Well, hey, one thing that's been on my heart this year have been small groups. You actually call them small tables here, which I think is really lovely. It sounds super invitational. Um, And I've been running a small table this year in my home. Shout out to three of my Springwood friends who are here. (laughs) They've driven all this way. It's amazing. Um, And I love the idea of playing with Scripture and wrestling with it. So I'm going to read the story of Lazarus today. Um, We might sit in it for a bit. Uh, I might stop and chat. Um, We'll ask some questions. And at the end, I'd love to have a discussion with you all. Um, So preparing you mentally in advance to talk to people. So um, just thought I'd let you know. Um, Does that sound all right? Sound good? Awesome. Well, well, too late. I'm here now anyway. (laughs) I have the mic. Um, That's awesome. Well, I I have a sense that Jesus is really seeking to stretch and grow extraordinary faith in us this morning. So let's jump into the story then. 
going to spend a lot of time in this chapter today. So let's start at verse, oh, there you go, there's my point, at verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles or you can read along on the screen, by all means. So it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So immediately I want to know, how did, how did Jesus know Lazarus? Because it doesn't, it doesn't explicitly say, but we're introduced to three significant people in this story. We've got Mary, Martha, and their very sick brother Lazarus. This passage says that well, Jesus has a history with Mary. The washing of Jesus' feet, it was an interaction that changed her life. So it makes sense for then Mary to say, oh, come, come, Jesus, you've got to meet Lazarus, my brother. Come, you've got to change his life too. Or vice versa, Lazarus, you've got to meet this awesome man that I just washed his feet. And evidently, they have struck up a really close friendship, which explains why the sisters referred to him as the one you love. So Jesus was close friends with these people, and he stayed in Bethany regularly. Um, it says in Mark 11.11 11, that um, him and the disciples went to, reg- uh, went to Bethany to stay the night a couple of times. So Jesus loved this family, and they loved him. They knew he was a healer, a teacher, that he could do miracles. So the sisters believed that, Lazarus, that Jesus could do something for Lazarus. Their faith was at a level where they assumed he would just drop everything and come and heal. But they were wrong. Let's find out what he did do. Verse 4 says, But when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I don't know, it sounds like on the surface that Lazarus isn't going to die. But we know he will, right? Jesus knows that he will. So what is he talking about? Let's keep reading. So now, Lazar- now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, you know, now let us go to Judea. What? I don't get that. So some of Jesus' closest friends reach out to him with terrible news that another of his closest friends is sick. And Jesus responds, now nah, come in two days. What? I don't get it. This is a time-sensitive matter. Like, why didn't Jesus go heal Lazarus? It says, he loved them, so he stayed. Why was his response in love to stay? It seems so unusual to me. Because I feel like our most natural response as human beings, when we hear that someone is sick or in the hospital, is to drop everything and go to them. I mean, like that's what my family did last year when my opal was sick. We just dropped everything and we went to his bedside because that's what you do. Yet Jesus is saying, I love him so much, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to let him die because I have something else in mind. Like, come on, Jesus, what are you waiting for? I get it. But the disciples actually have a different concern altogether. They said, but Rabbi... A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Like, and I read this and I go, hang on, what are the the disciples afraid of? Like, why are they desperate for Jesus not to go? Well, let's find out. Um, In the previous chapter, in John 10, 
we read that Jesus had stood in the midst of the Judean Jews and the Pharisees in Judea and claimed to be God. Whoa. He said, you know, I and the Father are one, as it says up there. Now, for his opponents, this, like, blasphemy was sufficient grounds for stoning because, you know, a mere man could never claim to be God's equal. But we know who he is, church. And as we see in John, Jesus is becoming more and more transparent with his divinity, making bolder claims and challenging the faith of his disciples. He's trying to help people to understand that he's not simply a healer. He doesn't want a limited faith. He wants them to have extraordinary faith in him. He's like, I'm someone far more terrific than you know. You just watch and see. So no wonder the Pharisees were annoyed. They didn't understand him. And as a result, his disciples are desperate for him not to go. Do you like my pictures? Um, Anyway, sorry, back to the... Um, As a result, his disciples are desperate for him not to go. They're like, you'd be bonkers to go. You'll get yourself killed. Don't you remember what happened last time? And on the other hand, Mary and Martha are just desperate for him to drop everything and come. Like, Jesus, this is our brother. This is your friend. Why won't you come? So all of Jesus' close friends were upset with him. Nobody is happy, not even Jesus. So there must have been this this terrible tension in his heart and he knew that he was allowing it to happen. So what is Jesus doing? Well, one thing we do know is that Jesus is not a people pleaser. He has a bigger plan of building extraordinary faith and he knew no one was going to like him for it. And when he gets to Bethany, he knows he's going to get blamed for all of it. So he says to his disciples, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he has said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Wait, is Lazarus asleep? Didn't Jesus just say he wasn't going to die? I'm like, either Lazarus has been sleeping for the last two days, or Jesus is talking about something else. And his disciples respond, and they say, Lord, but, but, but wait, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better, right? I just think that's a bit silly, but they're just totally confused. And Jesus says, Jesus, uh, Jesus said he had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's like, you guys still don't get it. So let me make it super simple for you. Lazarus is dead. He's dead. He's not sleeping. He's dead, dead. No doubt this made his disciples even more adamant that he wouldn't go. Like, what? Wait, what's the point of even going if he's already dead? Like, you're going to die. It doesn't make any sense. It's insane. And Jesus responds with something deeply profound. And it's probably one of our key verses for today. It says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. This is it. This is his point. He's trying to help his friends understand, like, I have a bigger plan. So let's, let's discuss the disciples for a second. These are 12 dudes who have been traveling with Jesus for a long while. Um, and they had seen him perform a whole range of miracles. And even still, Jesus knew that their faith was never going to grow beyond a certain level because they didn't understand who Jesus really was. 
Jesus could have just gone to Lazarus like Mary and Martha wanted and healed him. But his disciples would have expected that. That's what he usually did. It wasn't going to do anything for their faith. Jesus had to do something that they never would have expected. Jesus needed to raise him from the dead so that they would believe that he had authority over life and death. He desired for them to have extraordinary faith in him and he wants the same for us. So let's see that play out. Uh, I'll just read verse 16 while I'm here. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I, I actually haven't prepared anything to say here. I was going to skip it, but I just, I think that's a beautiful example of loyalty. Like Jesus, Thomas, with all of his doubts, goes, all right, Jesus, if you're going to walk into fire, I'm going to come with you. Like, I just, I think that's really beautiful. Anyway, let's move on. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days, Lazarus had been. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them um, with mourning their brother. So Lazarus had been dead and in the tomb for four days by the time Jesus got there. The whole town had been mourning for four days. Jesus was walking into a devastating place. Let's just understand like the enormity of this grief for a second. If you've ever lost someone or know someone who has lost someone, in the early days, it's awful. It's massive loss. You've got Mary and Martha who've just lost their brother and a community in deep sadness. People are angry. They're in denial. They're experiencing tremendous pain and they're placing blame. blame and blame is, blame is a natural part of grief. So Jesus is, Jesus is coming. His disciples are pulling him back out of fear that he'll be killed. And he's heading into a place where people are just truly disappointed in him. He must be feeling sick. It's a no-win situation. So wh why did Jesus wait so long to go? I think we need to understand, as, as people that are reading this story 2,000 years later, is that Jesus had to allow these people to grieve for four days in favor of growing their faith. Everyone had to believe that Lazarus was dead in order to fulfill Jesus's plan. So let's see what happened when Jesus arrives. Um, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary stayed sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So we see here that Martha's faith is on the same level as the disciples. She saw him as a healer and a teacher Martha is thinking, okay, yeah, one day my brother will rise again. I get that. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 he's going to rise again now. And she's thinking, oh, in the future. He's thinking, no, right now, future now, future now. They're on very different pages. And in verse 25, Jesus said to her, no, listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Did you catch that? She's missed the point again. 
She's saying, yes, I believe you are the Messiah who is to come into the world. He said, no, I said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one dies if they believe in me. She said, yeah, 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 I get it. I know you are the Messiah and one day you're going to deliver these people. And he's like, you're not understanding. That's what I'm doing right now. Like, Martha, let's get Hungry Jack's for lunch. And she's like, sure, I'd love to go to McDonald's. She's, she's thinking about something completely different. She's still thinking the future. But Jesus is like, no, I'm going to do something right now. I hope you're paying attention. So let's read on. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. She said, the teacher is here and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So my question from this is, why didn't Jesus go into the town? Why didn't Jesus enter the village, as it says? Do you think, do you think he was afraid of being stoned? Uh-uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I sorry, I doubt it. He may have been, I doubt it. But let's wrestle a little bit. What was he waiting for? Jesus could have gone to Mary and Martha's as soon as he got there to comfort them and hug them and console them. But it says that he didn't do that. Jesus could have healed Lazarus and skipped home, said, surprise, look who I've got. But he didn't do that either. He could have healed him in secret and then just left and let them all like discover on their own. But he didn't do that either. Instead, he waited outside the town. There is a clue in verse 31. It says, Jesus was waiting for them to come to him. He wanted the whole town to witness what he was about to do. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's heartbreaking. So yeah, yeah, well, here we go. When Mary arrived, guess what she said? She said, Lord, I can't wait until you raise Lazarus. That's what Jesus wanted them to say, right? But no, like her sister, Mary expressed her disappointment and her limited faith. Like, Jesus, oh, I'm so sad that you weren't here. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. So this is why he had to let Lazarus die, because... The disciples, these women, and the whole village, their faith stood that Jesus was just a healer, just a teacher. And he was nothing greater than that. It was never going to go any further unless he blew their minds. So let's keep reading. Here we go. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He said, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, I'm sure you all know this, but Jesus wept is actually the shortest verse in the Bible. But I just think this is a beautiful passage. Like here we get to see the humanness of Jesus. And we're, we're reminded that this whole thing, this whole ordeal has deeply troubled him. And moved him to tears. So why did Jesus weep? Let's play this idea out. Do you think Jesus was weeping because Lazarus was dead? I mean, the Jews certainly thought so. So I understand if you said yes. 
But based on what we've learnt, that would make a lot of sense. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus back to life. So was Jesus weeping instead because he knew that by raising Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus would have to like, suffer and die again in a broken world? Maybe. Was Jesus weeping because he just allowed his friends to go through four days of horrendous mourning and he had allowed it and that was his fault? Probably. It was likely the realization that, you know, these people had been miserable, but he cared for them. Let's read verse 37. Oh, well, anyway. So they're all saying the same thing. There must have been this so, yeah, anyway, so some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So there's this community feeling of disappointment. Mary and Martha must have told some people who told some people, told some people, and everybody was like, oh, why didn't Jesus just come? And we're actually at that point in the story where Jesus is about to turn their mourning into celebration and jubilation, but more importantly, their limited faith into extraordinary faith. I mean, Lazarus is about to wake up and say, what the heck just happened? So I'm not going to stop during this next bit. So I just encourage you to imagine yourself in this story because you and the whole town of Bethany are about to have your minds blown. All right? Cool. Here we go. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been in there for four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He says that again. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. My mind is blown. These people have just seen their healer or teacher bring a man back from the dead. I just, I, I wonder what changed in the hearts of these witnesses. Well, we're back to our spoiler from the beginning, so I thought we'd refresh. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. Many believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They said, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So even, even the Pharisees and the Jews who dobbed him in understood that at some level, what Jesus was teaching was powerful. Their concern, like, if we let him keep doing this, everyone will believe in him, affirms this. Jesus set out to go beyond people's expectations and amplify their faith, and he succeeded. 
his disciples, even after, like his disciples, for example, even after his death, they led the early church and they gave their lives for their faith. So something happened here that built extraordinary faith. And it comes back to verse 15, where Jesus says, For your sakes I did not go. For your sakes I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. His whole plan was to take their level of faith from seeing him simply as a healer to someone who has authority over life and death. Awesome. So my question for you is, what is Jesus challenging you to believe this morning? As we've discussed, Jesus wants us to have extraordinary faith in him. He wants us to stretch. He's saying, Look, it's okay that I didn't instantly heal this person in favor of your faith. This is how much he wants us to grow. So where is God stretching your faith at the moment? Like I, I doubt many of us are praying for someone to be brought back from the dead. But is there something in your life at the moment that God just hasn't fixed yet? Maybe something God hasn't given you a simple solution to? Maybe he wants you to grow in that difficult situation. Because he has surely not forgotten about you. He's, it's this, verse, this story says he loves you. He wept for you. He cries for you. But above all, he wants you to grow into having an extraordinary faith in him. That's the way he dreams for you to live. So let's chat for a moment in the very big small group that we have this morning. <laughs> so um, I'd encourage you to um, turn to the person beside you or form a little group um, if you're comfortable. And let's chat and pray for each other. I have some questions here. I've got, what is God doing in your life at the moment? How is God wanting to stretch your faith? How might God be inviting you to have extraordinary faith in Him in this season? And then I encourage you to pray for each other. I don't expect you to get through all of those in five minutes, so maybe pick one and then pray. Um, and I'm going to come back up in five minutes, so go for it. All right, I'm going to interrupt. I'd encourage you to continue these conversations after the service, though, because they're, they're awesome and encouraging. So um, one, one final thing from me before I get off the stage. I feel like I'm hogging it a little bit. Um, Steve's asked me to kind of wrap up our series for the year, uh, the series in John. We're finishing today in John chapter 11, but my understanding is that you'll pick it up next year. Great, yes. We are, so, you know, very exciting. Um, and I feel like it's a great place to wrap up with the story of Lazarus because the Gospel of John has set out to help people to discover the divinity of Jesus and that it paints a picture of someone far greater than a teacher, far greater than a healer or a religious man who could do amazing things. Like through this story, Jesus says, I am so much more than what you see me as. I am God and I'm in control of life and death. And I want you to have that much faith in me. And that's the God that we are following. So wherever you're at in your faith, Jesus wants to grow your faith in him. Not just as a teacher or a miracle worker, but as someone who is God himself. 
There's someone who can do anything in you and through you if you let him. So just trust that Jesus sees the bigger picture of your life right now. So I'd encourage you to, you know, ask these questions this week. Ask them to your family at the dinner table or to your small tables, small groups, um, or just people you interact with. Like, what is God doing in your life at the moment? And how might God be inviting you to have extraordinary faith in him? So I'd, I'd just like to pray as I invite the band up. That's the first time I've ever said that. How exciting. <laughs> Come on up, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to pray if you want to bow your heads. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this story, Lord, that it um, that it's just tells extraordinary tale of your, um, your, your desire for us to have extraordinary faith in you and for us to journey with you. Um, Lord, I just ask that for everybody here, um, Lord, that we continue to meet with you where we are and, and lean on you and allow you to stretch us and be okay with that and to trust that, Lord, you have a far bigger picture and a better plan for our lives, that whilst we're in the midst of it, we may not see it, but Lord, it is true. Um, I'd, I'd ask that you amplify our faith and you continue to. I just ask these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Great. Thank you, guys. Oh, all right. Stay right there. We're, ben, we'll, we'll start in just a moment. Can I invite Mez, um, Miranda and Lockie to come on up? And we're just going to pray for you. So um, we're going to encourage you very loudly first. <laughs> Um, and the reason we're praying for you is not just because of one sermon, although that was phenomenal and you could see God speaking through you, um, but this, this whole year. So it's, it's more than just one, uh, as I've been called before, it's more than just good, one good speech, although it was very good. <laughs> it's your dedication this year and we're excited for what um, we know. There's a couple of churches that are exploring and have noticed Haley and, uh, and, and so they should and so we're just excited for what's next for you um, and that we get to say thank you for that we again we get to say oh well she kind of learned everything she knew here so which is um which is not entirely true however we'll claim that and know that we'll say that and, oh we used to know Haley. she was actually here for a while there so um so um yeah we can even just make it oh, I taught her that which may not be true or not, so, but we're excited by where God's going to take you and grow your faith. And I know this year has been a growth of faith and has stretched you, and thank you for bringing God's word to us this morning. So uh, we're just going to lay hands on Haley, and then I'll um, pray. So, Father God, we thank you for this woman of God. Uh, we thank you for her dedication. We thank you for her commitment and her service this year. And we just lift her up, and in a sense, we send her into this next season. Uh, we send her very proudly and stoked for what's ahead for her and stoked what you've got. It, it's just clear and particularly clear this morning that you have got some exciting things for Haley into the future. And so we pray may her faith grow, may her love for you grow, may you guide her at every step. And uh, we just bless her now, go with her now on behalf of Burley and any church she's serving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much.